Well, good morning, Olive Branch. Let's try that again. Good morning, Olive Branch. It's great to see you guys back. Welcome back to Kickings Down Sandcastles. We are having a conversation about how to have a life that is storm ready. How we all understand there are going to be issues and storms in life, but we want to be prepared for those by building our lives on the teachings of Jesus. Not just hearing them, but also doing them. And so last week we challenged you guys to be in the Word of God every day, to be daily in it last week and the Sermon on the Mount, kind of reading it through. Hope you guys were able to do that. I know for me it was one of those cool challenges I was able to actually engage with and kind of been enjoying the Sermon on the Mount, especially uh, in that daily factor. There's a lot of things that happen daily in our houses too. Uh, one of those daily things in my house is, is the debate that happens over screen time. Anybody else have screen time issues in your home? Yeah. Um, my, I have three boys and my daughter and they love their screens and so we have to manage those about certain time limits and certain things they can watch and when they can play that game or what game. And invariably my boys are like good businessmen. They figured out how to take their half hour of screen time and multiply it uh, like threefold. So one will actually play the game while the other two will watch and help that person play the game. So they're kind of like getting extra screen time, you know? And then when that half hour is over, they switch and suddenly somebody else. Now, occasionally it doesn't work real well and somebody forgot to set a timer or somebody else has that particular screen that they want. Maybe it's the computer versus the, uh, the switch or whatever. And invariably they start bickering and yelling at each other about, hey, that's not, hey, that's not fair. He got more time on that one than I did. I wanted that before and I had it before he did. And then he got on it when I was getting the water and, and he didn't set his timer. It was longer. And that's just, and everything's not fair, not fair, not fair. Anybody been there? And, and what happens is as a father, I suddenly hear the words I've always heard coming out of my mouth and it, that I never really expected to say, but it happens all the time. Life's not, what? Fair, right? We all, we all think this. We all know this, and we've all heard it a thousand times. Life's not fair. But here's the thing. I still think I need to learn it, because <laughs> in my life, there are still things that when I'm out there and I'm talking to other pastors and I'm hearing about what's going on in their churches and that's growing and, and they've got these cool events happening or I'm meeting students who grew up in the youth ministry, man, they've got these awesome jobs and they're, they're getting their paychecks in and that's huge and they've got a retirement going over here and their kids are at this private school and this is happening and there's no storms in their life. I'll be quite honest, I sit back sometimes and I'm just like, come on, God. Like, seriously, no. I'm giving my life to you. I'm working hard every week. I'm running this church. What is going on? It's just, you look at this stuff around me. They've got all this nice stuff. They're driving a Tesla, man. This is not, that's not fair. God, this is just not fair. You know what he tells me? What does he tell me? No, he doesn't tell me that at all. He tells me, Greg, that's envy. He says, Greg, that's covetousness. That's not fairness. And suddenly we get a, a nub in my life, and, it's, and I hope it's, it'll hit you too today, that Jesus actually warns us against fairness a lot. That we can get so bound up into fairness, we can get so wound into this idea that everything should be fair, that we can get ourselves building our houses on the sand of fairness. In fact, what I think Jesus begins to reveal to us very quickly is this, if you live for fairness, it will break your life. In fact, Jesus uh, will argue, I believe, in multiple ways throughout this text that we're going to get into today, that fairness is a sand that we need to be careful not to build our lives upon. And yet, here's the problem. Fairness is everywhere, man. It's in our political discourse. It's arguments in my home. It's happening in my own heart. We can't escape the conversations of fairness. 
And yet Jesus is going to tell us, hey, you can't live for fairness. You need to escape that sand of fairness. You need to get past that sand of fairness. But how in the world are we going to do that? How in the world are we going to get there except that Jesus is going to teach us? He's going to actually teach us to be unfair, to live unfairly to ourselves. And that's exactly where this begins to move. That Jesus is going to take a radical ethic, a totally different turn. He's going to look at me and you. He's going to say, yeah, you see all that fairness out there? You think that's not fair? That's not fair. We're going to be unfair, but we're going to be unfair to ourselves and not to others. And so suddenly he makes this big twist and it's in a, in a verse that I think pretty much everybody on earth has heard at some point. Now, maybe not everybody, but everybody in the Christian world that was once Christian has heard this. In fact, it's printed on the UN wall. It's one of the only scriptures you'll find in the UN walls. And it's this one. It's called the golden rule. And it says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them for this is the law and the prophets. And this is such a clear ethic. This is something that's like, hey, whatever you're thinking, however you're wishing or desiring to be treated by somebody else, treat them in that manner. In whatever manner that you think they should do to you, do to them. And man, I, I was sitting there going like, this is so clear. It's so obvious how we should treat each other. There's no way to mess this up, is there? And of course, our innovative youth pastor who works with innovative teenagers said, oh yeah, there's a way to do that. And he's like, you can imagine a teenage boy standing there hearing this thing, verse going like, oh, treat others like you want to be treated. Well, I want my girlfriend to grab my butt, so I'm going to grab hers. And I'm sitting there going, that's just wrong. And Jesus, and he's like, yeah, I think Jesus would look at it and say, that's, that's not what I meant. Innovative, but no. And that's the problem. You can't just lift this verse out of context. Notice the word at the very beginning that we oftentimes drop. It's the word so. In fact, you could translate it therefore. And actually what it's getting to is, look, this isn't a context. Jesus is summing up the Sermon on the Mount in one sentence. He's saying, in all that I've just said, with all of this that I'm putting together here, Think about this. Therefore, whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. There's a context. Let's not take Jesus out of context because that can get extremely dangerous. We can become innovative teenagers. But Jesus is clearly not telling us that, hey, you need to wait until they've been unfair to themselves for you to be unfair to yourself. He's not, that's back to fairness. He's clearly telling us that we need to be active in our unfairness to ourselves. In fact, he doesn't even put it in the passive. The Jewish people and even in the Tao, it has a golden rule, but it's in the negative. It says, do not do to others what you do not want done to you. And notice, all you have to do is just get away from every human being on earth and you'll obey that rule. But what Jesus is saying is, no, 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 I want you to engage people. This is active. You need to treat others actively as you want to be treated. You need to be unfair to yourself on behalf of the other person. You're saying, Greg, I don't really see the unfairness part. Where are you getting that from? This is really interesting. I get what you're getting at. Well, that's where the context comes in. In fact, I want to take you to that context. And it's found here in Matthew chapter Five earlier in the text. So if you go there, grab your Bible to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be looking at verses 38 through 48 today. You can grab a Bible that's under your seat, so you can open your app or join us if, if you're watching at home and, and just have your Bible out and ready. We're going to engage in this text because Jesus is going to lay out a context for us about fairness. Now, he has just finished arguing that, hey, we need to be 
have a greater righteousness, a greater goodness before God than even the Pharisees have. And that was like the, the pro people. You need to shine your light and live out the law perfectly within your heart. Look, you need to have this happen. So he's laying out these various laws and kind of retooling them, taking them deeper. And then he hits one particular law and it seems like he just starts riffing, just starts going at it. And it's a law about fairness. You'll, you'll notice this law, you'll recognize it because he's going to tell us to live unfairly by this idea of what I'm going to call going beyond. And this idea of going beyond in our lives is going beyond what you would expect us to do. And so he says, starts with this definition of fairness. He says, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. And what we are seeing here is this concept of like, hey guys, there's this law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. Many of us hear this and we think a Gandhi statement, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and the whole, or eye for an eye and the whole world would be blind. And that's because Gandhi's picking up on the way that this doesn't work. Like this is not what, that's, he's not using it correctly. In the Old Testament, when you actually look at eye for eye, tooth for tooth, what you are engaging in is about personal, not national or city, but personal problems. When somebody's personally harmed you, how are you to deal with it? And here's the thing. Many people go, well, it's telling you if you, you poke your eye out and then if they poke your eye out, you poke their eye out. And, and we go like, that just, that's weird. Like, man, that's pretty extreme, isn't it? And yet time out for a second. What this is actually doing is it's limiting what's called judicial overreach, overkill. This is trying to say, no, no, you don't go beyond eye for eye or tooth for tooth. And we get that because you know what? Our human souls like to go beyond. We like judicial overkill. We like it. We make movies about it. Any John Wick fans out there? It's a big series right now. And John Wick is like, and I'll tell you, for those of you who are like, what in the world? John Wick's like this big series. And basically you can sum up the series like this. His wife, he's an assassin. His wife dies, leaves him something. And some mob steals that thing and kills his dog. Therefore, everyone on earth must die and the whole thing must be burned up. That's pretty much the summation of the John Wick movies. It is vengeance to the max. It's Rambo gone crazy. And so what you have here is literally this intense overkill. You killed my dog. You're all going to die. You know, that kind of a thing. And that's exactly the thing that the Bible is trying to hold back. It's saying, no, 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 no. It's not you steal, so we chop your hand off, and now you don't have an ability to do anything. It's, no, you pay back what was stolen from you. That's the cap and so Jesus says, this is about fairness. Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You heard it's all about fairness. I tell you, we're going to go beyond fairness. In fact, what we're going to do is we're not even going to resist the one who is evil. And right there, I think I, I kind of scratch my head and go, say what? Jesus, what are you talking about? Because this, this is not cool. Are you saying somebody breaks in my home, is about to kill my kids, and I'm supposed to go, okay, don't resist the evil guy. Have fun. No, that's not what he's talking about at all. Remember, this is in context of personal, of the personal affront, the personal damage. And he says, when somebody is dealing with you personally, we're not going to resist the one who is evil. And now we're going to take this in context. He's going to give us four scenarios as he applies this concept. And then he's going to show you who it applies to. And so the rest of this time, we're going to look at these four scenarios that Jesus just starts riffing on. He says, look, here you go. There are four ways that you're going to not resist evil. And the first one, and all of these are about going beyond. Your first one is you're going to go beyond payback when you've been wronged. You're going to go beyond payback when you've been wronged. He, and he puts it this way. Go ahead and look down at verse 39, the second half of that verse. And he says, but if, one, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other 
also. Now, we've heard this applied to the nations and stuff. Tolstoy was the first person to do that. He was a Russian novelist. Uh, Jesus never intended this outside of the personal affront because to be slapped on a cheek is a very specific thing in the ancient world. In fact, to be slapped on your right cheek, notice he says the right cheek, was the ultimate insult because it meant somebody had to backhand you with their right hand. And so this is a literal backhand slap as an insult to you. It was the ultimate insult. And Jesus says, okay, now that you've been dissed, now that you've been insulted, how are you going to respond? And Jesus says, what you're going to do is you're going to take the backhand and you're going to go, okay, here's the other cheek, go ahead. You're going to offer the other as well. Now, I don't know about you, but many of us here, when you're insulted, you're ready to just throw down and let's get on. Let's have a fight. You know, some of us are ready to defend our honor and, and, and man, you insulted me. Others of us, you're sitting on the internet and when somebody trolls you and starts calling you names, you're like, oh no, you didn't. And off we go back at them. And here's the problem. Jesus says, that's not how we're going to act. If you want to build your house on the rock, if you want to have a life that's going to be standing in the midst of the storms, we're going to go beyond insult. We're going to go beyond payback. We're not going to play vengeance. We're not going John Wick on people. In fact, what we're going to do is we're going to go the opposite direction. We are going to step back and we're going to turn the other cheek. We're going to say, you want to insult me? Here, continue to do so then. And this is a powerful move. And it doesn't seem powerful. Don't get me wrong. I think a lot of people are like, that seems so weak. It seems ridiculous. You just let somebody keep insulting you. That's, that's, that's dumb. But it wasn't weak, is it? Think back to the civil rights movement. Do you think that was weak? When young men and women trained up in the basement of a church decide finally to go sit down at lunch counters in violation of these laws to show that these were wrong, they had been trained in one thing, to turn the other cheek. They were not allowed to insult back. They were not allowed to fight back. They sat at those counters as they were beat, as food was thrown at them, as they were insulted, and they took it, and the world saw strength. They did not see weakness. And you know what else the world saw? They saw human beings. And they saw rights violated. And the world was changed because we turned the cheek. You see, Jesus is trying to get us to go beyond this is my enemy to this is another human. If I don't want to be insulted, I'm not going to insult. Even if you insult me, I'm going to be unfair to myself. For the sake that you are made in the image of God. For the sake that you are human. For the sake that Jesus said you are a light in the world that you represent God on earth if you're a Christian, that you need to actually show yourself off as Jesus did when he was smacked in the face and said nothing in return. That we would be a people who represent God and tell this person, though they are smacking me, you are still a human and I will not oblige the insult with an insult. You know what oftentimes happens when somebody's insulting you and shouting at you and everybody else is watching? They walk up to you afterwards and they say, what's wrong with that guy? That guy's a jerk. They actually see the evil in the other person. But when you mix it up, nobody knows who is in the right and who is in the wrong anymore. And what we are called to be is a people that stand and receive for the sake of the other. We are called to take in that we can escape the sand of fairness. Now that is not easy. But it's what we're called to do. It's how we begin to live. We take and receive a personal insult and bear up under it that Jesus' reputation might be seen through us. Now, Jesus applies another scenario. He goes on, and, and this one will apply differently because if you're going to live long enough, 
while you may have somebody do you wrong, eventually you're going to do somebody else wrong. Isn't that true? Like all of us at some point are going to have some way we've screwed up and hurt somebody else. What do we do in those cases? Well, the first thing typically we do is we have a knee-jerk reaction and try to prove we weren't wrong. Or we go, you know, I'm just silly. I just do that sometimes. Whoops. You know, that's kind of like those two responses we can have. I didn't do anything. That's ah, I always do that. Whoops. Now, neither of those are the responses Jesus wants us to have. He's actually saying, look, you really did something wrong. How are you going to respond? Well, we would all say, well, I'll just, you know, make it right. In my house, when I tell my kids, you know, make it right, they walk up to you and they say, I'm sorry. I forgive you. And they walk away. Is that all Jesus is asking? Just a couple words of exchange, we're good to go? No, I think he wants us to go beyond. He wants us to go beyond the, the apology. He wants to go beyond just enough. He wants us to go beyond the payoff. He wants us to move to something greater. Notice how he puts this. If you'll look down here at verse 40. He says, And if anyone would sue you, take up your clothes. Sorry, if anyone would sue you for your tunic... Oh, come on now. There it goes. There it goes. If anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Enough said. We're good, right? Last time I checked, nobody here was wearing a tunic today. So uh, I think we're, we're kind of in a question mark. Like, what's a tunic? A tunic is a giant dude's dress is the best way I can kind of put that. Um, it was this big, long shirt that would go down to your knees or lower, and you'd wear a belt around it because that was the common dress, one garment. And then you had a cloak that you would wear over. Your cloak was especially important because it would keep you warm at night. It would enable you to have, be- it was sometimes your bedding. And, it- and so you had two pieces of clothing. And if you've done something wrong, maybe you destroyed that guy's tunic and he's suing you for your tunic because you've done something wrong. Jesus says, make sure you give the tunic and then offer your cloak as well. Well, if you offer your cloak as well, you are now officially naked. Uh, Jesus, do you really mean what I think you mean? And Jesus says, yes, because he's being extreme on purpose. Jewish rabbis would take ideas to the extreme in order to wake us that we needed to do extreme things in certain circumstances. In this case, he's saying, you don't just go to, yeah, we made it right. You need to go beyond that. You need to go to the extreme. Try to make sure you, the people know that you've done wrong and you are making it right all the way. You are not going to let them get away. Yes, here's my tunic. I'm paying you back. Now here, take my cloak too. I know I did wrong. Here's my cloak. You know what he's doing? In that case, who in their kindest, real good hearts would look at that person and go, yeah, thanks for the cloak, dude. Enjoy nakedness and walk away. (laughs) No, they would say, no, you need that. You've given me the tunic. We're good. And notice what happens. If you just given it to me and been like, thank you. I deserve this. I'm walk away. Fair. Boom. Fair. Eye for eye. Tooth for tooth. Tunic for tunic. Well, Jesus says, go beyond. Show you're remorseful. Show it so well that you're willing to give it to him and then reveal your humanity to him so you can't be enemies. You're humans. Wouldn't you want, if somebody had done wrong to you, to come to you and not just pay you back, but try to go beyond in showing their remorse, then do the same to them. When we have something wrong, we need to be unfair to ourselves to make it right to the other. And so Jesus says, go beyond the I, I did enough mentality. To know, I want you to know that I sincerely apologize because I see you as a human and I want you to know that I care and I love you and I don't want this to be between us. Let's make this right. Some of us today need to go home and make some things right with some people. 
And you need to go beyond just saying a sorry. You need to go to an extent where you are beginning to reveal and show that you truly indeed are trying to make it right and that you were truly wrong. And that's what Jesus is calling us to, to be unfair to ourselves, even in our apologies, even in our making of things right. That's not easy. No, that's not easy at all. But again, if we're going to escape the sand of fairness that can swallow our lives, then we need to be aware of this. Now, the third scenario is the worst. Well, it's the worst for me because it's the one I, I need the most. So, and this lead, led me back to, honestly, a few months ago, uh, my wife and I were struggling with our lawn, our sprinklers. I hate sprinklers. Anybody else here with the sprinkler haters? Okay, so uh, in our area, sprinklers are awful. Like The water pressure never works and stuff. And so we, we found a sprinkler guy, had the sprinkler guy come out. He checked out our stuff. He said, I can't do anything about this. You don't have enough water pressure. You need to call the water company. And we're like, okay, here's $15. Thank you. And so we call the water company, and they say, well, we can't do anything about it until you do something about your house. And we're we're like, what's wrong with our house? It's okay. So we call a plumber out. The plumber comes out and says, well, I can't do anything about this unless you buy the right part. And so we had to buy the right part. So they want my money. They want my money. They want my money. And my grass is still dying. And I'm getting more frustrated because everybody's telling me what to do until they'll do something else. And I'm just like, ah. Oh. And then the HOA decides to jump right on top. Ah, here's a letter. Did you know your grass is dying? Duh. Thanks, Captain Obvious. Would you please fix it? What do you think I'm trying to do? Oh, I had some choice words. I was ready to tell them where they could take their letter. I do not like being told what to do. Anybody here with me on that one? Don't tell me what to do with my money. Don't tell me what to do with my time. Stop telling me what to do. I'm an American, darn it. And hey, here's the problem. Jesus addresses that very thing. He says, you know what? Say you're hanging out at home, Labor Day, next to the pool. Up comes a military convoy. Some guy pulls up, drops his rucksack on the ground, says, hey, pick that up, carry it one mile. And if you were in the Roman time period, you had to do that. By law, you had to carry whatever they told you to for a mile, no matter what. No matter how relaxed you were, no matter how busy you were, pick it up, go. Now Jesus says, go ahead and complain. Throw a fit. No, no, he doesn't say that at all. He says, you need to go beyond the obligation. Don't just look at this as an obligation. You need to go way beyond the obligation. You need to move into something beyond obligation to desire, something to where you are meeting it because you want to. In fact, what he says is, is just absolutely frustrating to me from, from my experience in life. And that is, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Very clearly, Jesus says, hey, what you're going to do is you're going to pick that thing up, and after one mile, when that Roman soldier looks at you and says, okay, you can put it down here, you're going to go, no, sir, actually, I would really like to carry it another mile for you. And he will look at you like, you are the craziest little guy I've ever seen in my life. Oh, either he'll say, okay, or he'll go, you know what? You did your obligation. You're good. Let it go. Now, what's going on here is Jesus is trying again to say, look, I'm not doing this out of obligation. I'm not going to fester and foster a rebellious heart that is born out of fairness. Because it's not fair for you to tell me to carry this thing. It's not fair for you to tell me where to put my money. It's not fair for you to tell me how to do these kind of stuff. That's not fair. But Jesus says it's not about fairness. It's about going beyond the obligation. It's about picking it up and willing to go two miles so you can show that person, hey, I am more than just your carrying 
your, your, your little donkey to carry things. I'm willing to go too with you. And again, the most likely response of a person would be like, you've done enough. That's awesome. Thank you. Wow. Nobody's like this. And again, you begin to represent Jesus Christ. You're going to show off that I'm a human, you're a human. I would love for somebody to carry it another mile for me. Why wouldn't I do that for you? And so this has challenged me when I start to think about my frustrations when I got to bring snack to the game. And, you know, everybody's expected to bring an obligation to bring snack to the, to the field or whatever, right? And I'm like, I don't want to bring snack to the field. And Jesus is like, no, bring snack to the practice too. Thanks, Jesus. But what's he trying to do? He's trying to root out rebellion. Because you know what happens with rebellion? You get bitter. And we all know bitterness will destroy the house. We know rebellion comes out because when the storm hits and rebellion's in your heart, the one you get angry at is not the storm. You get angry at God. And God is saying, you need to root this out. Don't build your house on the sands of fairness. It'll turn into rebellion. Take that obligation, turn it into a desire, and show them their humanity. Bless somebody with it. Not just fix your sprinklers, Greg. Hey, how about this? Help your neighbor with their HOA problem as well. Go beyond. Man, then we'd actually have a, like neighbors helping each other. That'd be great. Maybe they come over and help me. The, <laughs> but that's the idea, isn't it? Don't get stuck in fairness. Escape that sand of fairness by going beyond just obligation. Jesus says, okay, one more, one more scenario. And this time I want you to go beyond meeting just your own needs. And he gives us one of those very difficult statements again. All of these are difficult. He says here in verse 42, give to the one who begs and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Give to the one who begs from you and do not give, do not and, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Now, now this is interesting because, man, this, this is one of those hard ones. Does that mean every time I get off the freeway, I got to give some money to somebody? Every time somebody's begging for it. Now, first of all, you, I want to note something. When Jesus is talking about this, he's talking about your excess. He's talking about your surplus. Because you cannot borrow, what you, people cannot borrow from you what you do not have. And all the scholars and all the ancient writers and even the biblical writers who will riff off of what Jesus is saying here will talk about it as being from your surplus. Work hard and give from what you've earned to help somebody else out. In fact, Paul later is going to clarify this as he writes to the Corinthians in this big food gathering and money gathering thing to help the Jerusalem church when they're in a famine. And he says this, and he uses the word fairness. It's the only place that this term, equity, shows up in the Bible, in the New Testament at least in this case. And what he says is, now that I just moved it, he says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened. What he means by that is you're not supposed to give your money so that you suddenly give so much that now other people have to come help you out. Like somebody, suddenly I've given all my money away and I'm like, uh, can somebody pay for my mortgage? Cause I just gave it away. It's like, no, 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 no. Meet your needs. And from your surplus, begin to care. But as, so he says, for I do not mean that others should be eased and you burdened, but that as a matter of fairness, your abundance at the present time should supply their need so that, so here's the fairness side, their abundance may supply your need that there may be fairness. What he's saying is that when they have a surplus, if you're willing to help them out, then when they have a surplus, 
they'll help you out. Do unto others in their need as you would have, want them to do to you in your need. And so would I want somebody to be burdened by my need because they're overwhelmed with their... No, 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 no. So I'm not going to put myself in a situation where suddenly I'm a burden and vice versa. But in the need, I'm going to help them out. And so we go, well, what about the homeless? You know, they, they ask for money. They need food. They need stuff. And it's like, hey, if you know they need food, give them food. But you know, a lot of our surplus could be gathered together in a better function. And this is just me trying to vision cast and some of this stuff because this is a complex scenario. And just giving, just giving a handout to a person who's begging is different from their world than it is from ours. In their world, they were being set there. They were part of the income for the family. It was aiding them. And our world, it's used in so many different ways. What we need to do is figure out how do we pool our surplus together to form something that can help people with mental health conditions so we can help them get off the street and get well. That's their need. But it's going to take churches and it's going to take Christians to be unfair to themselves to open up somewhere that can actually pay for doctors who can help people out in these manners. That's going to take a vision beyond, well, I need my vacation money. And that's the danger that we fall into when I meet my needs. My needs and my wants start to overlap. And Jesus says, no, no, when you've got surplus and you meet somebody in your neighborhood that is truly in need because their grass is dying and it's not because they're neglecting it, it's because they don't have the money for it. And you find out it's not about their grass, it's that they're barely putting food on the table. How can we use our surplus to help them? But I mean, this is the kind of stuff that Jesus challenges with. And that's so easy because we're supposed to do it in the church together, right? We're supposed to love our neighbor and connect with each other and help each other out. Clearly, this is supposed to be with our family. Nobody has a problem helping out their own family. When it comes to the church, we're like, yeah, yeah, we get it. We need to help each other out. We're part of the church. We support each other. We need to be with each other. But outside of the church, yeah, maybe for outreach, yeah. And Jesus goes, hold on, we're going to apply this. You guys ready for an application? Jesus is going to blow our applications to pieces. And what he says is this. You need to go beyond just your neighbor in the application to everyone. And here's what Jesus says, beginning in verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. In other words, hey guys, you need to love your neighbors? Yes, but you need to love your enemies. Now, he just skipped a whole category of people to get to the worst case scenario. He's not like, I love your family, sure. Love your friends, love your neighbors. Yeah, love that acquaintance who's not really your, he's just kind of in your area. But no, I want you to love your enemy furthest away that you can think of. In other words, this applies to everyone. There's nobody outside of this. You can't categorize human beings out and say, well, that group doesn't count. No, what Jesus is saying is that our heart and our condition is to be the kind that God had, where it was a matter of pouring it out for everybody that we possibly could, that we could give to people this kind of love. And you're like, what, what does love have to do with this? This has been unfair to myself. This doesn't sound like love. No, you got to understand when we go beyond, when we're unfair to ourselves, we live out love. That's what Jesus has been saying. Don't just carry that rucksack angry at that guy. Love that guy. Be willing to carry it too. Don't just pay back the tunic and be angry that this guy had to take your tunic because you messed it up. No, love that guy. Give him your cloak as well. 
Don't just sit there and take the slap, love that guy and step and say, I'm not going to insult you back. Jesus has been talking about love this whole time. Not that I feel good about you, love, then you feel good about me, let's get together. You know, not that kind of love. I'm talking about the unfair to yourself love because love is always unfair to itself. Think about it. If you're raising kids, you know love is unfair. (laughs) Hundreds of thousands of dollars unfair. (laughs) It ain't coming back because it's going to be spent on your grandkids and it's it's not coming back. But that's love. Some of us need to be a little bit more unfair in our arguments with our spouse. Where you actually are like, well, I'm going to be unfair to myself and let you win today. Guess what? If you both did that, you'd have a conversation instead of an argument. And when we're unfair to ourselves in our lives, you actually extend love to the other person. I don't know if you guys see it that way, but I just hear it in every word that Jesus says. Notice what he goes on to continues on in his statements here. He says, for if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? If you turn love into fairness, I love you, you love me. No, if you turn love, what, what, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? No, we're supposed to go beyond the ease of just caring for people who can care for us back. We need to go to the point where we're giving so that we're unfair to ourselves. And in that, Jesus says there's a reward. Now, there's an eternal reward indeed, but there's, there's temporal rewards too. And I, wanna, I want you to hear about a temporal reward. I want you to see how this works in life. I want to introduce you to Skip and Linda here on the video. And uh, just here is they've been kind of being unfair to themselves, caring for Chuck. And as Chuck has been a blessing to them, there has been this beauty of love that you're going to watch. Check this video out. Hi, my name is Skip Mata, and I'm here to... Uh, share a little bit about a really good friend of mine. His name is Chuck Walsh, and he's a very good friend of mine. And uh, he doesn't suffer with, but he does have several palsy. Mars? Good morning. Mars, good morning. Got your Sunday church shirt on, too, yeah. huh? All right. Where are you going right now? To church. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to go see who at church? Amanda yeah. and who else? Everybody. Everybody. <laughs> you ready to go? Now I'm born ready. We've served in ministry together. We've been in men's Bible studies together. And, you know, I, I consider it a blessing to just know Chuck because I think I've learned more from Chuck than I have uh, from people who aren't uh, stricken with any kind of terrible dis- disabilities. But uh, Chuck is really an awesome fella. Uh, he's in a wheelchair now. Uh, his cerebral palsy is progressive. He's 72 years old now. And uh, so... We have them in a uh, boarding care facility uh, right behind the church. So it's so convenient because he loves going to church. That is one of the main things in his life. You know, uh, knowing Chuck has been a blessing in my life. And we have a saying here at Olive Branch to love, live, and share Christ wherever we may go. And I think a big part of uh, loving Christ is, is living like Christ and, and then sharing that. And in my experience uh, with Chuck over the past 28 years that I've known him, there have been challenges. Uh, I have to admit that there have been challenges. But the total package has just been a blessing in my life. 
I think that uh, Chuck has inspired me more than than anybody that I really know, and it's been a wonderful experience. And uh, so I would suggest that you know you just get out there and and just. Uh, Regardless of anyone's condition, just share the love of Christ with them, you know, because that's the most important thing that we can do. And uh, living, living like that is another thing that we really have to take, you know, take into consideration. So I just want to thank Chuck for all the years that we've been together, and uh, hopefully we'll have a lot more together. How can you not see love in that? That when we're unfair to ourselves, that there's a love and there's a reciprocation, there's a reward, there's a power that goes on. And you know what that power is? You're actually seeing people act like God. You're watching God in action through people. Because notice how Jesus clearly puts it. He, he is laying it out. He says, you're going to be like the sons of the Father. He goes on in that very passage and he says, for God makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the just and the unjust. He's the one who has loved those who are evil. He is the one who's poured out kindness on other people. He was unfair to himself by not judging them. You think he likes sin? You think he likes evil? No. But God in his willingness of grace is unkind to himself and he loves us then. This is an incredible Reality, when you and I understand that we are being called to live out the very life of Jesus, the very actions of Jesus, the very ethic of Jesus, and he puts it in very stark terms. He says, then you are going to be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. And you just think, oh my goodness. This is, all the other four scenarios are hard enough. Be perfect like God. How in the world? You're God. Of course you can do that, Jesus. How are we supposed to do that? You know, that's the beauty of the fact that God dwells in you. The very one who is, self, who is, who is unjust to himself, in a sense, he was, he was unfair to himself, dwells in you. See, do you understand? He was unfair to himself. He went to the cross. There on the cross, he was willing to bear our sins, to take it upon himself, to carry away the very judgment of hell, and he there took it. He didn't have to. It's completely unfair to him. And yet what we receive from his unfairness is grace and love. God is willing to give that to everybody. He doesn't limit anybody, even to his enemies who hate him, who don't believe in him, who don't want anything to do with him. He's saying, listen, this is what I have for you. If you will simply hear me and receive that I've been unfair to myself, I've punished myself with your sin, hey, I will forgive you if you will receive me. That's an incredible thing. And when you received him, then that power to be unfair comes into your life. You can do this because the very God who gave you that grace is living in you to give that grace to others. That very God of love dwells in you so you can love other people and give that away. And even when that happens and you give and you give and you give and one day you're looking at this going, this is ridiculous. I'm not getting anything out of this. You know there's a reward of eternal life coming. But God has shown us. It was God who revealed this to us. It was Jesus himself who said, greater love has no one than this, than that someone lay down his life for his friends. Whether it's an obligation for a mile, 
whether it's in meeting needs, making it right, or receiving an insult. We need to be unfair to ourselves. We need to treat others like we want to be treated. What an ethic. What a call. We're in a world that needs that more than ever. What would happen if a church unleashed the ethic of Jesus to be unfair to ourselves and to care for people on the internet and the world around us everywhere we went? Would that not make an impact? Would that not begin to bring about the revival we all desperately desire to see in our city? But it's not easy. No, you can't do it by yourself. You have to let the gospel empower you. And if you don't have Jesus Christ in your life, I'm going to tell you, you can't live this out. It's not possible. One day you will come to the end of giving away and giving away and you'll go, this is just not worth it. I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm going to die and just disappear. And so I need something back. I need some me time. I need some about, and somebody needs to care about me for once. We break. Unless you know that there is a life eternal coming given to you that you didn't deserve, filled with the rewards of giving, from giving ourselves away, there is no reason that we, that this will work. And so we as Christians need to live out what's been placed in our souls. This unfairness to ourselves that our very God gave to us. That's the challenge. That's the beginning. And so today, maybe you're like, oh, I got something I got to fix. Wow. I got a new attitude I got to have on the internet. Maybe you're just sitting here and God is hitting you with something that you need to make right. Around the room today are these little buckets. You'll see in the corners. And those are places that we have the cling, this cling that's available again that I talked about. And you can write down kind of what it is God's telling you. Put it somewhere where you can keep it visual and keep it working in your life. But it's there as those reminders and it's an opportunity to move forward. But otherwise, I just want to challenge that some of you, you don't need to do that at all today. What you need to do is you need to receive what God has given to you through Jesus Christ. You need to understand that God has been unfair to himself because he wants you to be forgiven of your sins and have a relationship with him because he loves you. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're in here today and you know that you need to get right with God, you know that you can't live this out without God's presence in your life and you know you don't have him in your life, then I would love for you at this time to to consider receiving what he has given you. It's a gift of his son on the cross to bear your sin, to bear the judgment away from you so that you could have a relationship with God. And it's not that you got to clean up and be good and get yourself all fixed in order to, to do this. There's none of that. You just come right where you are and as you are. And nobody here is good enough. You're thinking, well, I got all this good stuff and I've done all these things. Yeah, but the little bit of sin that you have is mixed into all that mess. You still need someone to take care of it. And the pride itself that you have in that good is just as dangerous. What God calls you to is to see yourself as equal with everybody else on the planet, all needing the same solution, that God would be unfair to himself to let us in. That's what he did. He let Jesus die on the cross to bear that sin. And now it's up to you. It's in your court to receive it. 
And if you're ready to receive that today, if you're ready to be forgiven of your sins, you're ready to have that relationship with God, you're ready to receive eternal life. And it's, a, it's, it's right here, waiting for you right now. If you'd like to receive it, just put your hand up. You're saying, that's me today. I need that forgiveness. I need that eternal life. If you put your hand up, I'll just walk you through a prayer so you can connect with God and kind of verbalize that reception. If you're there right now, you just say, God in heaven, I know that I've sinned and I ask that you would forgive me. I trust that Jesus Christ has borne my sin on the cross and God, that you've been unfair to yourself in this. Thank you. Would you now come into my life? Would you lead me through the rest of it as you give me eternal life? Help me be unfair to myself that I can love others well. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.